That was pretty good. That was when the other guy who was in the wire. That right. was when he had that like conflict and With the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Jamie Hepburn. Yeah, he's good too. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. He was in that that series in like a different role. Yeah. So between the, the movie thing and just really meeting a lot of phenomenal people, like the podcast is just blown. Yeah, that's, that's good. Man. And being you know law law enforcement based and just us not being robots, us being real individuals, yeah. uh-huh. and calling it for what it is. You know, people love that realness. Yeah. Of it, and it just it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, it's for everybody though. Everybody has a voice. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. Uh, we started a podcast here in September as well we have a couple different shows that we do um but not in the the format that you guys do you know kind of the conversational interviews and you know so we have like a true crime kind of series that we do called law and disorder where anna who's with you guys today she does that and it's more of like a factual kind of account of you know different crimes that that took place um and then we do do some interviews, like one-on-one interviews, and then officer safety and wellness topics and you know things like that. So it's growing. It's interesting to see kind of how, you know, I don't think we expected it to like jump <coughs> off immediately, you know, but it was like tick, tick, tick. And we're like, man, where is everybody? Like we have this huge audience, you know, and why isn't anybody listening to this? But it really, you know, grows. And we started a series where, um, we have law enforcement and their family members interviewing each other and talking to each other about oh, wow. the experience of, you know, the having a law enforcement officer in the family and, you know, as a dad or as a, you know, mom and um, Bill and his wife as a spouse, they did one. It's actually one of our most popular episodes. Yeah, very <laughs> dynamic. Um, so do that. So, you know, it, it kind of in the same way, it's just about introducing law enforcement officers to people in a different ways and when they normally interact with them. Absolutely. You know? So. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Damn, we gotta yeah, come yeah. back and get on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. Love to do that. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Perfect. Silverback Chronicles Podcast. It's your boy, Big H. I got my brother, Drake. Drake, hello, okay. Triple C. You. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for keep tuning in. Always tell a friend and tell a friend. We have a special episode today. We are live, guys, live in the nation's capital with the National Law Enforcement Officers Museum. This was an amazing experience for all of us. It's uh, breathtaking. We got amazing men that brought this to the table for us. And um, you guys are going to love it. What you got, Dre? How do you feel about we it? We love it. I mean, the museum, just walking through the museum, everyone that's that's put on the uniform has to come to this museum. It's it's just special. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. Seriously. Thank you. Just the content and everything else, it, it, it really, you know, it's different when you're doing the job, but when you come here and you just see the memories of the forefront where law enforcement began and where it's continuing to go and just everything that, that law enforcement in life, and it, it's a beautiful thing. Just, oh man, I can't, I'm speechless at times just walking around just to see how just, just, oh man, just from the beginning and just see where we are now today, you know, th- in this day and age with law enforcement and it's just a beautiful experience. So just no further ado, guys, please tell the world where you're from, born and raised. Sir, I'll start with you. 
Uh, my name is Bill Alexander. Okay. I'm the executive director of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, which you all saw outside as we were walking in. I'm sure you have been here many times. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I started my law enforcement career about 30 years ago. I was in the Air Force as a security police officer, and I was stationed at, of all places, Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, I grew up in Northern Virginia, and that's why I'm joking. So I, I, thought, I, was, <laughs> right. I thought I was going to go see the world, and I got stationed at the closest Air Force Base to my uh, original hometown. Right. Uh, Andrews Air Force Base is in Prince George's County, as I'm sure both of you know. Right. And so I recognized pretty quickly that uh, while I had an intense interest in law enforcement as a career, there was a vast chasm of difference between being a milita military police officer and a police officer on, you know, in the civilian world. For sure. So I could see Prince George's County police officers doing real police work right outside the main gate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I applied for the Prince George's County Police Department. I was very lucky at the time. Of course, this was... 26 or 27 years ago, wow. every single open spot, even like it, at the time it was in Baltimore, there were thousands of applicants. Mm -hmm. So I considered myself incredibly lucky to be selected. Um, and I just finished a 25 year career, 20, uh, 25 year career with Prince George's County about a year and two months ago to take this job, very humbled wow. to be a part of this organization and to help represent um, the men and women who all three of us know whose names are outside on those very sacred walls. Absolutely. So that's a high level overview of me. For sure. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Means everything. 25 years. Wow. Good, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Thomas Canavan. I'm the executive director for the National Law Enforcement Museum. And I was born here in D.C. Uh, majority of my family is from uh, D.C., but I was raised in Prince George's County. Um, and uh, my background is actually in fine arts and nonprofit management. So, um, so I studied a lot about uh, museums. I've always been um, a huge kind of museum person and spent a lot of time in museums. And so uh, when the opportunity to be the executive director of the National Law Enforcement Museum came up, um, I thought this would be a worthy challenge of uh, my skills and, and experience. And this has been um, one of the most eye-opening, enlightening, experiences um, I think I've, I've ever had professionally and uh, you know it's been um, it's been just a, a remarkable opportunity to learn um, about a profession that everyone has really formed a lot of opinions around uh, to learn more about what happens within the law enforcement community and to learn more about officers and to be able to sit here at this table with you all who, you know, put your life on the lines for everybody out there every day. Um, and so whatever I can do here within the museum to help tell that story is uh, what I'm here to do. Well, you've done a phenomenal job because as you're walking through the space, it's so detailed and meticulous. You, you guys knocked it out of the park, seriously. Thank you, yeah. Just the simulators, the, the, uh, the accounts on the walls, it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you. What was your, what was your experience, or if, even if you didn't have any experience, but what was your insight on law enforcement prior to doing this? And what was your, and then what is it now? <laughs> um, all right. Well, so uh, I had a lot of different experiences. Um, good or bad, doesn't matter. I had both, right. you know, um, I've had good experiences, um, where, you know, there was an understanding like, okay, well, um, you know, don't do this again type of things. And then there were experiences that I had, um, that led me to form some pretty concrete opinions, um, you know, uh, about law enforcement, um, in a way that, um, just kind of 
is what it is. You right. Know? So um, without going into you know too much detail, I had both experiences. Right. Right. Good and bad. Yeah. Right. Which is that's life. Yeah. In life, you can experience both. Yeah. It's a case yeah. by case. Yeah. And I think that's why the challenge to come here, right, was so right. profound. Right? Exactly. Makes and, sense. Um, and that's really what, you know, when I talk to a lot of people, I, you know, talk to them about challenging some of their assumptions, you know, being mm. able to, to learn more. And one of the things that I, I did learn, and I, I learned it really quickly, was just how diverse ideology is within law enforcement itself right mm -hmm. everybody it's as diverse as the rest of the country absolutely right? because it's made up of people from within this country right so you have republicans you have democrats right you have people of all faiths um and you have people who have varying opinions on how law enforcement should be enforced um and so uh so i think learning that from the from the get-go was really eye-opening and that's one of those things where i hope more people come here to discover that and then apply that, right? And that's one of the things I think we hope for as an organization is that when people come here and learn about the sacrifice of the fallen officers as well as um, just knowledge of the law enforcement profession, you take that back into your community and you share that with your family. And then the next time you have um, an interaction with an officer, you know a little bit more right. about what that person is experiencing on a daily basis, mm -hmm. right? And so then that changes and now all of a sudden, you know, you bring empathy to the table and, you know, and can start to have a better relationship. Was you, was you able to do the simulator before? Not before I worked here, but um, when you, what was your perspective when you actually saw it done? Well, so one of the things that um, that I experienced, which a lot of people do, um, and I'm going to mess up the uh, the terminology, right? But when you get that tunnel vision, you got it, you know, and uh, and so um, it's like that sensory. Uh, something exclusion right mm -hmm. so you don't hear things right or you don't see things that are happening and then all of a sudden um you're in a situation that's a lot of stress and you have to be able to respond in a certain amount of time to protect the people around you mm -hmm. right and that to me was just eye-opening one how do you train and prepare for that right right and then you think back to situations that you see on tv um you start to just process things a little bit differently um, when it comes to situations, right? And you hear somebody like, oh, well, how, you know, why'd they do that? Or why'd they do that? And I'm just like, oh, you need to learn more, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> About what's going on and uh, and how they're trained. And that's one of the things why the use of force simulator is, um, is really a unique experience because it's taught by former law enforcement, uh, you know, uh, academy trainers and officers, and um, and they walk you through. This is why, you know, this is the expectation of us. Um, this is how we're trained, and this is why we make certain decisions um, in those moments. And so, I think that's a really just enlightening opportunity for everybody. It is. Those guys were great. Yeah. Were it's great. Very opening for yeah. a lot of people. It is. Yeah. Gives you a better understanding of uh, the job. Yep. What officers go through. It's a humbling experience. Yeah, it is. For yeah. civilians as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, good sir, what was your why with joining the job and doing it? 
You know, I always just, even from a young kid, I always had such an intense interest in um, all things law enforcement. I remember watching TV with my grandfather. We would watch Chips. Of course, that's... Classic. Yeah. Uh, California Highway <laughs> Patrol. I yeah. just always thought it was such an amazing opportunity to have a career which was not going to the same office every day and doing the same sort of rote, uh, menial job, whatever that would turn out to be. Not that there's any routine, bad right. work, but routine. And I just always thought it was um, in part exciting to potentially do something new every day and also just an amazing opportunity to enter a career where you're doing something to give back, to give back to your community, to serve sure. uh, the people around you uh, and to act as a force for good. You know, even from my earliest years, but certainly all the way through my career, I have always believed and continue to believe that law enforcement has been and continues to be a force for good on balance. Not that. Uh, you know, I hope you guys won't begrudge me saying uh, words like we, us, our, when I refer to what I still think of as our profession. Not Absolutely. that our profession has not made mistakes, not that we have nothing to atone for over the last 250 years. But I feel really um, down to my bones that we in law enforcement have been and continue to do good things for this country, for our communities that we work for. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have, I, I felt that way as strongly as I ever have all the way through the end of my, in my career. And now that I'm here at the Memorial Fund, I feel it even more strongly. I mean, it's, wow. it's very hard to walk through the Memorial outside, mm. be surrounded by the names of what is now 23,785 names of the men and women of the heroes who have died in the line of duty and somehow think that their loss has been for nothing or that on net their loss has been and part of a cause of overwhelming negative action by law enforcement professionals across the country. I just don't believe it. I mean, men like you, men and women just like you uh, in uniform today out there on the streets are trying to do the right thing. And I, I really do fundamentally believe that most law enforcement professional professionals are out there trying to do the right thing. And by and large, they are doing the right thing and they're, they're having an impact. Right. I know police week is coming up and the, uh, the memorial, you mentioned the names that, that have fallen. How many are you adding to this year? We just added 556. You all just missed it, but the engravers just finished yesterday. Oh, so wow. In about two weeks, they added 556 names. 224 of those names are from calendar year 2022, and the remainder are from years prior. Okay. Wow. Okay. And, and is that number up from what you guys have seen in the past? Historically, we would, uh, as the Memorial Fund, we would see somewhere around 200 and 250 on any given year. That in part includes the prior calendar year, and it also in part includes what we refer to as historical deaths, deaths that were sort of lost to time, but every single year we continue to find dozens of new names of the men and women who died over the last 250 years. But over the last three years specifically, COVID has really ramped that number up. Really? So last year we added 619 names. About half of those names were COVID related. This year out of the 556, probably 35 or 40% of those are related to COVID. Mm -hmm. So the number is impacted really dramatically by COVID. Um, COVID deaths are dropping, so we are seeing a trend downward there. But obviously 556 names and 619 last year that's staggering. I mean, mm -hmm. a really, really staggering number and really outside the norm of what we would historically see in any given year. Mm. So your time on the job, how was it mentally? What did it do for you in the beginning and uh, towards retirement? Was it hard to compartmentalize things? 
that you experienced? Yeah, you know, Thomas referenced just a little bit ago, my wife and I, we were just sitting here a month ago recording this podcast, and, and uh, it was one of our questions, like how do police officers, how do young law enforcement or professionals find a way to uh, sort of segregate their work life from their home life? How does it, how do you avoid it spilling over? And so I, what I told her was, I, in my mind, there's just no question that law enforcement professionals find a way to compartmentalize the worst aspects of our job. Right. Um, not that you want to completely compartmentalize it. I think your spouse or partner to some degree has probably said to the law enforcement professional in their lives, Hey, part of the bargain here is, is that I want to be able to share with those, with those moments and the, and the hard times that you're experiencing to sort of carry some of that emotional burden. So I think it's incumbent on young law enforcement professionals to find a way to share some aspect of that. But you know, one of the things I told my wife was there were there were certainly times in my career, and I'm sure in your and every law enforcement professional career, officer's career, you see things on the job that are very tough. You see people in the worst moments of their lives. You see tragedy and violence and chaos. Uh, you see death and destruction, particularly with uh, families and young kids. Uh, maybe you're involved in some uh, part of that uh, violence yourself. Maybe an officer involved shooting. And there are certainly at least a half dozen of my careers where I can remember feeling very acutely in intense danger. And I don't know that as a young law enforcement professional or at any time in your career, you run home to relay that level of danger to the people who care about you because in my mind, that really ratchets up their stress. Exactly. It does. So I don't know that you run home and tell your spouse, I was certain that I was going to get shot and killed today. I don't know that you do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, What outlets did you have? You know, I was always a tech geek, so computers were to some degree my outlet. And Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that I told my wife, and I'm certain that this is equally the same with you, is the men and women that you work with, the the very strands become the strands and the fabric of something way more than just your professional life. They become part of the fabric of your life. Absolutely. The co-workers are not just co-workers. They are men and women who you form bonds with that are closer in many cases even than your family. And so for me, that really was my outlet, the ability to bond with those men and women, to know that their lives were in my hands to some degree and my life was in theirs, and our ability to forge those strong bonds, to share stories, to know that we were in the danger together when there was danger, mm-hmm. to know that we were in the good times together too, and the times that we were able to help either individually or some segment of the communica- community. And, you know, occasionally we might have a beverage or two. <laughs> Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> You know, for me, that really was my stress reliever, knowing that I was in bonded in part with a group of men and women who cared just as much as I did, and all of us were in it together. Nice. That's awesome. Why the museum for you? Well, I uh, retired just uh, just over a year ago. I swore to myself and to my wife and who anyone who would listen, I am not going to take a job in D.C. after I <laughs> Was you was you was you going to take at least a year off or six months just to relax and? I I said I said to my wife I think I might take a couple months off and my wife said no that's not going to happen <laughs> you're getting back to work uh, can't be at home you know, all day every I'm day. giving her a hard time here the reality is she likely would have given me I, I you know I'm I'm saying it wrong it's not like she would have given me but she would have allowed me as much time as I wanted to decompress after 25 years in law enforcement right. but. This job came open. A friend of mine, also in law enforcement, also retired, said, hey, this job at the memorial's come open. You should put your name in the hat. And so I did. And then, uh, honestly, not that I wasn't capable. I left Prince George's County as a major. I retired and commanded the academy. I had had serious commands before that. Not that I thought I wasn't mentally or physically or 
uh, professionally capable of running this job, but this is the kind of job that would draw in some heavy hitters. Mm, right. So when I put my name in the ring, I was thinking, oh, this is the kind of job that will draw in chiefs of police from across the country. Right. The titans within our law enforcement profession will be putting their name in the ring. And again, not that I didn't think I was capable, but I didn't seriously think that out of that level of contention or you know competition that I would rise to the top. So when the CEO here, Marsha Ferranto, when she called me and said, the job is yours if you want it, this is the job that could get you to drive into DC every day. <laughs> just, I'm incredibly humbled, um, just more, you know, more than I can express in any meaningful way, how humbling it is to be here, to be a part of this organization. Uh, and to represent the men and women that all three of us know whose names are out there. And obviously, I'm just one peg and among many, all of us here working collectively on behalf of the Memorial Fund. And when visitors come here, I say it's more than just us here at the Memorial Fund who have a responsibility. It's all of us in the profession of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And it's all of us in the country, at least I feel. Um, you know, there's a quote out there on the southwest corner of the wall from... George Bush at the inauguration of the memorial, and it says, carved on these walls is the story of America, a mm. continuing quest to preserve both democracy and decency, and to protect the national treasure that we call the American dream. Mm, wow. Sitting right here, the men and women who, the men who are protecting the national uh, dream, our American dream, preserving our democracy. And I think that part of our responsibility here at the Memorial Fund, our responsibility in terms of us in the profession, and all of us as citizens of this country is to remember, remember the cost of what it what it costs this nation each year to protect that democracy. And unfortunately and tragically, it's measured every single year in hundreds of lives, lives whose names are memorialized out on the memorial. So that for me, there's nothing I wouldn't do for this organization, for those sacred walls outside, and certainly driving an hour into and <laughs> each day from D.C. is the least of the sacrifices I would make for this Absolutely. place. Absolutely. That's amazing. Makes it all world for it. Yeah. You said something that, that, that really struck cool. me up. I didn't know you was a major. Yeah. Just, why, well, why, why to become a major? Why go through the ranks? What did that do for you? My wife asked me the exact same question and uh, she, she said to me, what was the favorite part of the job for you, where you know, where did you find the most pleasure? And I and I told her there was no question in my mind. Like every cop I've ever talked to, the the times that they re recollect the most fondly are the times in patrol, the times boots on the ground, you were out there responding to nine one one calls. I don't think there's any other profession. I don't think there's any other job in this country where you can have such an immediate and visceral impact on someone's life. Being a rank and file sworn police officer in uniform, responding, handling some chaotic crisis, whatever it is, and being able to restore order and to some degree implement justice in terms of you have removed the bad element from whatever it is. You've, right. you've caused the chaos to stop and to some degree you've introduced the person who has caused whatever the chaos is into the criminal justice system, hopefully to allow some level of healing or whatever it is. So for me, I mean, there was just no question in my entire 25 plus years, being a cop was the best. Yeah, uh, and I don't know how it is on in Baltimore, but uh, the last rank where you had any tenuous connection <laughs> to real, what I refer to as real police work was lieutenant. Mm -hmm. So I was a shift commander. Uh, I was working Sea Pleasant and Landover. I had, I loved it. I mean, How I loved everything about it. Probably about two and a half, three years. Well, partway through my rank of lieutenant, uh, 
the short version is, is this tech reporter from New York lost his phone. It was very early in the iPhone days, you know, like just the iPhone had just been released. He uses Find My and it's showing up in Sea Pleasant, Maryland, oh, wow. where I happen to work. And of course he like tweets about it and becomes like this story. And mm. think back 15 years ago, and I'm, I don't even know if Baltimore or PG have any like policy now, but just imagine that a tech reporter calls up the Prince George's County non-emergency number, says, hey, uh, you know, I lost my phone. It's showing up in Sea Pleasant, Maryland. Will you right. send like a police officer out to get it? You know, 15 years ago. Right. And the non-emergency number is like, what? Yeah. What are you what? talking? About? Yeah. No, 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 we're not doing that. So I happened to see this, and it was my sector. Like I was in charge of this whole thing. So I had, uh, I called the squads and I'm like, hey, for evening shift, we're gonna have a roll call in front of this guy's house where this phone is pinging off of. And long story short, I got the guy's phone back. Right. Wow. That puts me on the map internally of the police department and of our media relations director, and they're like, oh, you should try this media relations thing. And as a guy who had spent his entire adult life thinking about being involved in what I thought of as real law enforcement, right. media relations was the last place I wanted to go. I didn't sure. want any parts of that. I didn't want to talk to the press. Right. The press had been, and certainly to varying degrees even today, had been viewed as the enemy. Um, and I said, no, 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 no. Uh, so I went kicking and screaming, but I did go. And that opened my eyes to an entirely new world in terms of leadership within the department. Mm. Uh, how leadership views the problems that come in, how and why leadership often see things differently than the rank and file, and why there is that schism. Um, and I also recognize that, you know, if I wanted to really contribute and give back to my community in some meaningful way, then in part I owed it to the men and women in the community and the men and women who were on the police department to, if I was able, use my life experience, use my professional experience to give back in some hopefully meaningful way and take on greater leadership roles. And I think, um, to, I hope to some extent I was able to do that. Awesome. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. That's everything, man. I think yes. everybody like loves patrol. Oh, patrol? Patrol is just, you can make patrol yeah. whatever you want. You know, that's yeah. awesome. I tried to talk Thomas into joining. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I told him he yeah. actually would be an amazing cop. Yeah, his emotional intelligence is off the scale, and uh, he would—he has a way of connecting with people, which uh, you know calms down people who are chaotic, and also, you know, building bonds almost immediately. He would have been an amazing cop. There you go. He's been pushing hard. The problem yeah. is, you know, he's director of the National Law Enforcement Officers Museum. So yeah. I don't think we can go from that <laughs> to controller. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So as director, when 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 pieces come in, do you point? And place them? Is that like... So uh, so it depends on the project and, and really it depends on the kind of level of our staff and, and who we have in-house at the time. Um, but a lot of times for exhibits, depending on how big of an exhibition it is, we contract out with different design companies, uh, for example, who work with us. Um, and a lot of times, uh, if it's a large enough project, we'll form a committee and we'll bring you know subject matter experts in different ways uh so for example on our our first major exhibition that we did which was post 9 11 it was all about how law enforcement changed in the last 20 years as a result of 9 11. so what lessons were learned from 9 11 and then applied within law enforcement so we brought people to the table who um who were there, you know, at the, the trade centers um, and who were working in various agencies and, and departments um, over the last 20 years that had had a direct kind of correlation to that. Um, and then we worked with a design company. And so we informed the design company, right, about ideas and perspectives and uh, the right way to talk about 
certain things, right? Right language to use. Um, and then they kind of put it together, right? They create kind of a design and then we walk through the design and see if that's, you know, if we think that's going to be effective for our audience um, in terms of what we want them to learn and, and feel in that experience. Um, and then, you know, and then go from there. And then we have people who install it um, professionally. You know? wow. So it's just right. Right. You know? God is just right. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would just add everything in this museum and you sort of touched on it before but i don't know that we are any of us articulated out loud everything in this museum exists to honor the men and women in this profession yes this is not the place where you're going to come and find where you know i talked before about mistakes and some level of atonement right. this mm -hmm. is the place where if there's any question in your your family or your friend your peer group or even the men and women the citizens of this country who have questions about what it is and why law enforcement does it you come here you will learn everything that is good about law enforcement and so that is the lens through which thomas has built this museum and this place to honor the profession of law enforcement and tell the story of american law enforcement is how does this showcase the men and women who are doing the good work that we've obviously been talking about? Right. Yeah. So it's definitely a strong reminder, for sure. Yeah. And I think, and in honor of fallen officers that are on the memorial across the street, we really want this place to be the exemplar, right? We want people to come here and learn the best of the best and how law enforcement has evolved to, to where it is today. Um, and so that's the... The perspective um, that we take. You guys hit it out the park. Even with the uh, with the uh, that exhibition with dealing with movies, uh -huh. how you guys tied it in was perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Did you all get the opportunity to see the service and sacrifice film? We're gonna do that after. Okay. Oh, I, I hope okay. you do. I I get emotional every time I see the film. I've yeah. probably seen it a dozen times. Wow. It is a phenomenal film for anyone, anyone in law enforcement who and their family, like even if they just want to skip everything else in the museum, which obviously we would not say that, come see this film. Even if you're not in law enforcement, come come see a glimpse of law enforcement that I, I suspect you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And I dare you to come out of that film feeling in any way negative towards the law enforcement profession. Again, not that we've never made mistakes, but come see this film. Come be challenged emotionally in a way that I think lots of people in this country haven't been before. Uh, yeah. yeah, well said. We, we, we talk about that all the time. You know, every profession has their mistakes, but for some reason, because we're the easiest ones to pick at, because we're not allowed to respond, in a sense, mm -hmm. that's why it's at where it's at, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but yes, we would definitely check that out, for sure. Yeah, this museum definitely paints the picture for law enforcement. It really gives a phenomenal insight on what the job entails and what people should think about. It's it's overwhelming. It's a beautiful experience. I've never been here. This is the first time being here. And it just, it's a great thing, man, because, you know, now it, there's always that stigma of law enforcement and they're just bad guys and bad apples and this and that and that's unfortunately that's what sticks out that's what people love to see and that's what you know they want to portray us as that but that's why you know we're the ones that go out there that's why you retired over 25 years and still ride blue and we love it it's a beautiful thing the world mm -hmm. needs to know that we're here for the right reasons mm -hmm. and we serve with that purpose and inspire others to do so accordingly. So, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, there's bad apples in every profession. It really is. But I want us to stick out for doing the right things. And, uh, and that's paramount mm -hmm. to what we're trying to drive down for people mm -hmm. and everybody that wants to do this. Mm -hmm. But we love it. Mm -hmm. 
You Absolutely. guys have any questions for us? We do. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I had a chance to ask questions. For sure. That would have been prepared. Yeah, you want to see <laughs> no, you go. I'm going to think of something. So, um, when I, uh, probably about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a public safety leadership program through Hopkins. And uh, I was very lucky to meet uh, almost a half dozen people who were from Baltimore City. And I instinctively knew every single law enforcement professional and certainly all the agencies I've had contact with, I, I always come away impressed with the caliber of folks and the, and the folks from Baltimore were no different. And so I'm curious, I know firsthand that the men and women who are in uniform in Baltimore City go to work every day, every single day, every single minute under exceedingly difficult circumstances, exceedingly difficult circumstances. Being a Baltimore City cop is entirely different than Fairfax County or Howard County or any of the other locales around Maryland. Mm -hmm. You guys are in really, really tough, tough circumstances. And every single law enforcement agency I'm aware of is undermanned and underfunded and unable to meet their recruitment goals by far. Mm -hmm. And I suspect you guys are working doubles or triples, mandatory holdovers, mandatory overtime. Um, and maybe you've talked about it before on prior episodes, but... I think lots of people across the country have some sort of feeling like, oh, Baltimore is one of those places in the country that has high crime, and it must be by virtue of the caliber of cop that is patrolling the streets of Baltimore or the department itself or some combination of the men mm -hmm. and women not caring, not showing up, not going to work. I know that not to be true, but you two show up to work even now. How are you, how are you feeling? How are you dealing with, um, you know, there's no question that there's crime in Baltimore, but how do you how do you show up and how do you feel and how do you maintain your own morale? Uh, how do you represent the department when you're out and about and how do you feel, uh, you know, broadly about the circumstances in Baltimore and is there a solution for Baltimore? Well, from my perspective, I love the job. I love what I do. You know, I'm I'm a positive person to begin with. I don't like negative energy. Negative energy just bring it it, it brings everything out of you. You know what I mean? It puts you in a bad space mentally. So I'm always positive. I always smile, always have a good time. So even dealing with, you know, the things we have, we have to deal with in the city, we sign up for it. It comes with the job, unfortunately, you know? And where we are in the city, it's tough. It's a tough gig, you know? It's not like your county or, or your local, you know, jurisdictions. It's times 10, you know, we're on, we're on 100 from the jump as soon as we clock in mm -hmm. but it's okay you know it's, it's all about what's your what's your why we know what we signed up for so you know when we come to work you're gonna face people talk bad about you you're gonna you're gonna face you're gonna deal with in-house stuff that has got nothing to do with you but you gotta remain professional when you when you sign up to do this job you sign up to be that professional so if you're having a bad day you're not supposed to let the world see that because it brings down, it, it brings you down. It, it, it's always said that you're supposed to be the perfect agent of your department. So when, when somebody sees you, you're supposed to be that ideal officer. They're having a bad day, you're supposed to brighten up their day. A situation starts at a 10 or 15, you gotta bring that down to a five. So they, they can understand what they did wrong in reference to that situation. You have to remain the, the ideal perfectionist in this profession. And it's tough at times, but it's okay. Because when you have that real why and you love and serve that purpose, then every interaction should end with the respective parties understanding what happened, what went wrong. Doesn't necessarily have to always lead to an arrest. No, 
90% of his job is talking, having a verbal conversation with somebody. And if it starts off wrong and we going out of whack, okay, I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to talk low. While you're talking high, I'm going to talk low. I'm going to bring it down. I want you to understand that I'm here for you. And once we, you know, once we build that rapport, rapport is everything. You only get a couple minutes to somebody understand you. And then once you bring them down here and they understand you build that rapport, it brings, the, it makes the conversation go so smoothly. You know, and everything never has to lead to an arrest. It's a conversation. You have to be the best professional it is. So yeah, we have our issues. Like every other jurisdiction had their issues. But I leave work at work. And when I come home, I'm dad. I'm Ralph. I'm a father. I'm a son. And I love to have fun. So, you know, my insight is always, always have an outlet, you know, do something, be something other than law enforcement. Leave that at work. When you come home, do something else, you know, just to keep that thing going, to keep your why going, what you love to do. I love to just be that fun, that fun person that people can talk to, have, laugh, laugh and have a good time with, go out, find other outlets, go out and, you know, draw, paint, <laughs> cook, Podcast. you know. Podcast, mm-hmm. well, nice. or, you know, <laughs> yeah. you what you guys are doing with this podcast is is helping to, to some degree bridge that divide. I would argue, absolutely, showing people that police officers are not automatons just running Correct. around with wild abandon, exactly shooting and killing people without any reason. The to me, the most the best part about our podcast, which is the way we designed it, is so that the community. The civilians can understand what we're saying. We're not speaking in police language, you know, per se. You know, so when we break down videos or whatever it may be, we're speaking in terms that they understand. So that's why they're like, oh, you know, they come up to us. You know, I get why, you know, such and such happened. And we're like, yeah, they're like, oh, now we understand. And then that, you know, starts a positive conversation, which is always a great thing, you know. We welcome more conversations and, 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 especially any conversation to put us, the profession, in a better light. Because, you know, right now the media just show only uh, the, the the negative aspect of it. But there's so much that happened leading to it. Did you all get some pushback from your department in terms of, uh, obviously you're not here representing the Baltimore City Police Department, but most police departments have pretty strong policies about how and where you can identify yourself as an employee, the things you say. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys get pushback for that? No, because we're not speaking as Detective Horton or Detective right. Severino. We're speaking as Big H or Dre, you know, and and we speak highly of the department. You know, it's not bashing policing or bashing the department. It's a, it's definitely a lane that we love. And the feedback we get is even commanders that love what we're doing. There's so many people that says, you know what, this has always been needed. It's really, it's like a therapy session when people come. It really is. That way. <laughs> it really is a therapy yeah. session. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. it really is. Not for nothing, we came, we had Peanut King, one of the biggest drug dealers in Baltimore City ever. This guy was making a million dollars a week. Wow. He did, what, 28, 30 years? 37. 37 years federal. We met him when he first got home about three months, three, four months, and then getting home. And we set up the interview. Of course, he just did 37 years federal. So his engagement with police officers is not going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. He, he was locked up in 1982. In 19, wow. And just came home. Mm-hmm. So we had an interview with him. He came on our podcast. 
the first 10, 15 minutes, it was kind of standoffish because, of course, he just did all this time. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to come meet with police. But I tell you, I swear it's like a therapy session because when we sat down and just start talking, and the more we start talking, the more we were building. Mm-hmm. And the more we were building, the more we had a lot in common. So that's all it is. Once you have that conversation, and now we're like the best. We talk to each other on a regular basis. He calls Dre all the time. Like, it's it's a beautiful thing. So it's it's nothing but a conversation, you know, with calm heads. It's always best like that because you, the ending result is always paramount on what you want. That's the biggest example of bridging the gap. Yeah. You have current active law enforcement having a conversation with one of the biggest drug dealers and if and that's and that's what we want to show society like if we can do it then mm-hmm. everyone else can do it mm-hmm. because you're not at that level that he you know reached mm-hmm. you're not making two million dollars a week so if he can sit down and t- have a conversation on how to make a community much better because that's what he's into he he wants to avoid uh young black men going through the through the system yeah. mm-hmm. so that's that's his main focus so it's an example of if he can sit down mm-hmm. and have a conversation with officers, you on the corner can have a conversation mm-hmm. with the officers and let's get to know each other and we'll realize, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of things are not necessary. You know, we're all human beings and we all want to do the same thing, which provide for our families, mm-hmm. shelter, and, you know, you know, look nice every once in a while, whatever it may be. But it's just the trap is how you get it. You know, and what he's saying is you don't have to go the same route that he went. Mm-hmm. It was a phenomenal episode, yeah. mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we even had a, a interview with the a fire a fire department lieutenant. That was crazy. That despised police. Mm, really, he didn't even know. I didn't even know. And they were good friends. Yeah. Still good friends. They're still good friends. <laughs> but he's like, yeah. Yeah. he he told the son. Don't ever talk to police. We was like, what? <laughs> He's the first responder. He's the first responder. Mm-hmm. And when we got down to it, it was just the trauma that he received when he was younger. Right. So he still hasn't healed from that. Mm-hmm. But the problem is he's passing that along to his, to his children, child right. yeah. who's not growing up around that trauma. Exactly. His, yeah. his child's not living in Baltimore City. Right. Yeah. And we were shocked. We were like, what? Like, And it's, that's just what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. But it's it's amazing to have the conversation of, you know, your experience, our experience, but we're still friends. It's not like, oh, well, I'm not talking to you anymore. You know, it's just... Let's continue to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. But he got a better perception of police. He does. From talking on mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, you know, it's 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 needed. It's always needed. And uh, I'm glad we're doing that. And, you know, we hear, you know, the kickback, but it's not really much not because they, they know the purpose that we're, that we're trying to serve. And it really is coming in the department and a right, yeah. and a bright light. Well, I'm glad they don't give you any pushback because I, I think what you're doing is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's it's got to be part of the solution in terms of convincing the bulk of the American public that um, you know this this whole thing, this law enforcement pr- profession, it's nuanced, it's complicated. Yes. It is. And every police officer I know wants to be a part of the solution, whatever yep. the solution is, to limit, prevent crime, to keep people safe in their homes. And I mean, that's all. That's that's the entire purpose of the whole profession. So, thank you. Thank you. For sure. It means everything. Yep. I think here now in Baltimore, to answer your question that you have, being part of the change, you know, people say that, but I think the city of Baltimore is changing. And for me, is 
I could go back and say, you know, I was a part of that change. It is changing. There's things that, you know, like every department, but being part of that change to me is what's special. Like, and of course, you know, there's things that are out of control. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. But we just, you know, we stay focused. And those that follow, we appreciate it. Wow. It's a beautiful thing. You two are kings among men. Thank you so much. Law enforcement knows that, you know, there, there, there are degrees and, and shades of gray across law enforcement where right. you go. And to, and to volunteer and suit up and go to the streets of Baltimore City is not an easy thing. So, thank you. I don't know. We find it fun. It's a unique yes, personality yes, to do this job. It is. It is for sure. But we love how you guys mix art with police work. Right. That's what we, you know, that's, it's just, I cannot stop thinking about those hallways and those expeditions. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, every profession and community, they all have different cultures, you know, and law enforcement culture is, is a really kind of distinct thing. There's a lot of things within law enforcement culture that, really specific to the people in law enforcement. And when you're here, I think you can get a little bit more of a sense of what that culture is. Mm-hmm. And and I think that helps people understand each other better. It you is. Know? And um, when people have interactions with law enforcement outside of the museum and you're in your neighborhood or driving down the highway or whatever, it's a very, they're enforcing the law and nobody likes that. Nobody, nobody likes being told they can't do something they want to do, you know? And so, uh, so you form your opinions right around that type of experience but when you're here and you can kind of pull back the layers a little bit and you go into history and culture and some of the humanities around this profession um it uh i think i'd be hard pressed to find another place like this within the country definitely you know and uh so for that reason i think it's really important you know it's huge because the policing culture from the beginning there was good and there was a lot of bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, policing wasn't very good for a long period of time. It was it was all for the wrong reasons. But you gotta understand the people that we serve that's been in that culture those years. You gotta understand their hatred for policing. Mm-hmm. So you gotta understand where they're coming from. So it takes a lot to do this job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mentally, you gotta do, mentally, you gotta do your homework and understand, well, why, you know, why do I gotta get back last night to get out the car to say hi? There's a long history. There's mm-hmm. different cultures, cultures of policing. Even when we came on the job, came on the job different cultures that we went into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, every police jurisdiction has that. Mm-hmm. You got your cultures, some of them are gonna be a-holes. Mm-hmm. That's just what they do, how they operate. Us being who we are as an individual, I'm not going to treat anybody like that. You want to know why? Because I demand respect. Mm-hmm. And I and I love giving respect. I love treating people they, the way they need to be treated mm-hmm. at all times. Mm-hmm. So I'm not the one that's going to just... I, I like to say I separate myself. I do because the way I conduct myself. I don't need to have friends. I don't need to have a, a, that guy just blend in. No. 
you got to treat people the way you want to be treated at all times. Yeah. Going back to when we were talking earlier about how diverse it is within law enforcement, it's as diverse as it is within the country. Right. And so and it's made up of the people from those communities. Right. And so when you have uh, people in communities doing great things, then, you know, you're going to have law enforcement that reflects that as well. And when you have people in communities doing bad things, you know, um, and they grew up in that culture and with those ideologies and, you know, it's going to seep up some of the generational stuff where you have, you know, fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers, right, passing things down that um, that aren't relevant anymore, you know, then but they still reflect that within the culture um, is problematic and it's hard to to get rid of that, you know. And so um, that's the challenge, I think, with um, some of that that culture within law enforcement. Walking through it to touch both of your points, you said history and you said, you know, the history of it wasn't good. One of the displays you have up is uh, Lucius. I had to look at my phone because I Lucius Emerson. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. no one. Did, I didn't know about that. Did you? No. Not and that's mine. that's that's insane that you guys have that as a display. Yeah. So now what I'm gonna go back and do is do my homework because that's an untold story. Yep. About you know the, the black sheriff that took over the department. Yep. During the uh, yep the uh, civil rights movement, right? Right. Yep. So um, so he was the first black sheriff elected in the deep south after Reconstruction in Alabama, right? Uh, yep. That's and, insane. Uh, yeah. And we're good friends with his son, wow. uh, Anthony, who uh, he becomes a volunteer. Uh, he likes to come and, you know, talk to people in the museum about his dad. And they wow. have a lot of um, a lot of programs down in Tuskegee, you know, That's around awesome. um, his dad and the influence that, that he's had there. Um, so, yeah, phenomenal story. Definitely. 100%. I think when people yeah. come and see that, yeah. again, it changes their perspective. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, and I I like the artifacts that we have here on display of his, which the sunglasses and you know his nameplate, right? It's so simple, mm-hmm. but it's a part of that uniform that you put on every day. It's the the objects that you kind of take for granted, but are really personal to you. Yeah, you know it's how are. it defines you, yeah. right? Like I put on my glasses or my hat or my you know my jacket, and I'm like, all right, I'm walking out as me into the world, and you know thinking about you know the side table by the door, get your sunglasses. Yeah. And put on your nameplate and yeah. be ready for business, you know. Shooting up for the day. Shooting up for the day. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And everybody so. has that thing to them. Yep. Yeah, for yep. sure. Yep. So, um, so, so it's, you so I do have a couple questions and I want to go back, um, to what you're talking about, uh, perfection and having to show up every day, um, perfect right and that that ideal officer in the face of everything that's going on and that you have to encounter do you think that having that expectation is realistic and you know does that lead to additional stress that is hard to manage on top of um all the other stressors that you have throughout the day and i'll i'll with that i'll say within my team here at the museum Right. In a a much different type of professional environment, we grow through failure. Right. I create space for my team to be able to fail so we can learn from our mistakes and we can get a little better next time and learn how to avoid um, those situations. But law enforcement officers don't have that opportunity. Right. Because when you fail or when you make a mistake, there are severe consequences. Right. And so the pressure of that to the pressure of having to smile right in the face of somebody yelling at you um, 
is that a realistic expectation? You know, and when we see officers not presenting that level of perfection, do we then form opinions about them in terms of good cop, bad cop, wanting to be there, wanting not to be there, you know, right? So, um, so just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that because you had, had brought that up. You know, to be honest, it's tough to put that on display all the time. But you always got to count on your partner to be there with you. Because if you're having a bad day and somebody just you know takes you to another level, mm -hmm. that's when you got to have that tag team. Yep. I got it. I got yeah. it. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because we're human. We are human. We're going to have our good days and our bad days. Yep. But I try to have the... I always have a great day. Yeah. Because even if I'm I'm dealing with somebody that's irate, it's okay. I'm still mm -hmm. going to smile. Listen, I understand you're having a bad day. Mm -hmm. I've been there. Yep. So that conversation is ideal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let them get, sometimes they just want to get it out. Get it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I get it. You're upset? Listen, yeah, if you got a curse, let it out. But that takes a real unique type of person and personality. I no, think. you have to wear many hats. Yeah, many. Yeah, yeah. You got to be a social worker. Like not everybody should sign up for that. I know. It's tough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you if you're gonna join the job just for a check and benefits, the no, job the job the job <laughs> will expose yeah. you. Yeah, you, you, job, you are a liability. Right, the job will expose you. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. you don't do this for the money. You really do it to help others. Yeah, it's a call. It's weird. It's a calling. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and and to answer your question, to a lot of people that that sense also helps people keep you alive. The fact that like sure. you are paying attention. Yeah. You know? And yes, it does running running hypervigilant, you know, does has it does has its uh downfall, but it's what keeps you every shift to come home. Mm -hmm. You know? So I guess it depends on the individual how to manage it. Mm -hmm. Like for us it's like music. A lot of times it's music. Um that helps us get through a shift and helps us, you know, serve. I mean, because you get those calls, you know, where where you've got a shooting. Yeah. And once you get on scene, it's just you. So my vision is like this. I got a victim. Where's my subject? There could be people crowding. The subject could be there trying watching to play like he's, like he's one of the uh, bystanders. He's watching yeah. you, yeah. And got the pistol on him. Mm -hmm. So you gotta, you really gotta, you really gotta do a lot in a short period of time. Yep. You gotta render aid. You gotta get medics on scene. You gotta get officers to come out to help you secure that scene. Because medics aren't coming in unless that, that scene is deemed secure and safe. Mm. Then you gotta get other officers following medic. Door-to-door -door canvas. Where's my crime scene tape? It's a lot that goes into a play in the shooting scene. Mm -hmm. It's very chaotic. So you gotta be you gotta be extremely smart and you gotta be calm. Cause when you're speaking on the radio, they can't if you're upset and excited, that's gonna bring the cavalry mm -hmm. because they think you're in a in a tough situation. So you gotta be real accurate and calm and use that tone so that the dispatcher can hear you accurately. And you gotta give, you gotta let them know what you have, mm -hmm. and start getting people on scene. Deem the scene safe. You got a lot to do in the situation, and then try going from that to now. I gotta deal with a rape, just left homicide. Now I gotta go back 10-8. Mm -hmm. 10-8's being in service. Got a rape call. 
everybody's busy, but you're available now. Mm-hmm. Now I gotta go deal with that. I gotta go handle it. <clears throat> gotta bring her or him down. I gotta bring her down. And while you're driving, you have to shift your mindset. Like, okay, I just got off of a shooting. Mm-hmm. Now I have to switch over to like being compassionate mm-hmm. because of this what this person just experienced. Mm-hmm. You have to walk in there. You can't go in. You can't go in there with the same vibe as a shooting, as to you know that as to the next call. Um, something you guys said the quick story I was a rookie we chased this guy for I think it was drugs we were downtown and it just goes to show like how everyone needs to be on point Uh, my buddy catches him because I wasn't going to catch him right so my buddy catches him and we're putting the handcuffs and we were taught you know you have to create like a wall of uh, uh, you know you're watching the crowd Mm -hmm. while one of my other buddies was watching the crowd there was a gentleman that was watching watching us arrest the person. He slowly pulls out a gun and he's basically aiming it because our backs are to the crowd. But uh, one of our buddies that was playing like security guard ended up seeing, he ended up getting a gun arrest. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that. The fact that yes, we're chasing someone for drugs and you know we have our backs turned. We're doing our job, but still, there's still someone out there that wants to cause harm. Thank God, I, my friend was there. He was doing his job to catch the person that had a gun. Mm-hmm. It's that's 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 police work mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. You just gotta be prepared. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. You can't be laxed because once you're laxed, that that's a problem. Because mm-hmm. anything can happen. But I mean, you know, we, we you got to carry that. You got to carry that and have that, you know, when that sixth sense talks to you, acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Right. And understand it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, policing is tough. You know, it's, 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 it's not an easy thing. You know, we make it look easy with the, us being who we are. Mm-hmm. But it's a tough gig. It's mm-hmm. not for everybody. It's not. So, you know, sign up, you know, come do the right reason. Come here for the right reasons, you know, and actually learn, you know, learn the job. A lot of, I say a lot of officers, they like to get, oh, I want to get this car. I want to drive the newest car and all that. Learn the job. Yeah. That's not yeah. important. Mm-hmm. Learn what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and you'll have a great, you know, you'll have a great career. Because mm-hmm. we love it. Yeah. Yeah. I got another question for you. Please do. So, uh, putting on your podcast host hats. What have you all learned from the different interviews and just since you started this show that you've been able to apply to, to your work? How's it influenced your work at all? People. People, like out of nowhere. Jeez, yesterday, what was that yesterday? I went to, um, I went, to, yeah, I, I stopped at this, uh, to get something to drink. And this guy out of nowhere, he's like, you want a podcast? I said, yeah. He's like, they cross, yeah, Silverback Chronicles. He's like, bro, you're amazing. He said, you and your partner, like, you guys are really talking the way you're supposed to be. He's like, that, that's never been done before. He's like, I'm hearing it and I'm loving it. I'm loving everything you guys are doing. You know, thank you. I said, no, thank you. I appreciate you. You know, feedback is everything. But it, it's it's opened the door to so many different opportunities and so many different versions of people of all walks of life. Even when we, we went to uh, Fogo de Chow, and we, you know, enjoying eating dinner or whatever. And this guy's, he kept looking at me. So my partner saw him while he's looking at me. And then he came over to the table. He was like, yo, I saw you episode with John Bernthal. And that's when we was on John's podcast. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I, I appreciate you guys, what you're trying to do. So, you know, I, I think it's all in just the conversations that we're having that's starting to create, even with, you know, with brass at the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, like some brass that I don't know come up to me and we just talk, mm-hmm. you know, and they just, yeah, I'll see you box. Yeah, well, I want to get in there with you. And, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, we really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. On the podcast, we also show like, you know, by day you're a police officer and at night you're a DJ or, you know, this, we had an amazing episode with this, detective who takes his own money and from his paycheck and buys sneakers to kids that don't have sneakers Mm -hmm. and that's how he started his foundation so we always try to showcase people that are doing more in the community You know, other than policing, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough to go work, you know, 16 hours and then be like, you know what? I'm going to buy this little kid some sneakers mm-hmm. so that when he goes to school on Monday, he has a fresh pair of kicks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that just extra. He doesn't have to do that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we showcase a lot of detectives and officers that do that. And we also showcase the fact that, like, we're all human beings. We all, in a way, want to be seen and heard. And we're the platform that does it in a way and of course stories and camaraderie and all that yeah people yeah. you know I love stories yeah. mm-hmm. give me a whole police job give me a whole story what happened I don't remember a lot of them uh-huh. I try to get I don't know why it's just the, it's, it only comes up in like in conversation that I'm yeah. like oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. but I don't remember exactly. them like yeah yeah, yeah. Like, so oh, much. yeah that did happen no mm-hmm. But so much. Mm-hmm. What is your superhero origin story in terms of this podcast? Were you guys on the same squad or what did you guys? Yeah, we was all in the same squad. It was like nine and ten of us. And we always called ourselves the Silverbacks. I think I started mm-hmm. with the name. Because we always traveled in the pack. It didn't matter what call it was, we all went. We all snaked through the alleys to make sure everything was clear. Like the neighborhood knew it's proactive. that we was at work. Mm-hmm. Proactive policing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we always, like, all your drug spots, even on the businesses, the business owners loved us. Because, you know, we would park a ghost car, <laughs> leave it there, mm-hmm. go finish, snake it through the alleys, go to the hot the hot spots, make sure everything's okay, so that they saw us. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go back to the ghost car. We'll go back on the block where, the, where there was businesses, and we'll just be visible mm-hmm. and visible. We engaged with the community. We engaged with the, the local churches. Everybody knew how we worked. Mm-hmm. So there was very little crime. It was. It got to a point where, you know, there's, of course, we get new supervisors, new sergeants that come on, and they want to put their own spiel on things. So they thought they were smart by taking us from our reason sector one. They took us from sector one and put our, source, our squad in sector three. The squad from sector three came to sector one. Not even an hour, not even an hour into the shift. It's fireworks in sector one. Mm-hmm. Fireworks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you hear people yelling Shoot on the radio. I got a, a, a suspect, Ryan. Fireworks. Mm-hmm. The major. You you can hear him. Have uh, uh, 10, which is our sergeant for uh, sector mm-hmm. one. Have him jump down the seat. I want the original sector one back in sector one. Mm-hmm. As soon as we got back there, crickets. Yeah. <laughs> we got to know how to police. And what's yeah. crazy is they're like, oh, yeah. big dog, oh, big H. Where the hell was that? Where the hell was that? So what y'all doing, man? Y'all tell yeah. well, you know, the new guys come. Yeah. Got to take advantage. with the area. Got to take advantage. They feeling yeah. too cocky. They showing off a little bit. Right. Oh, you a new, or you new over here and think you know? Okay, no problem. We got yeah, something yeah. for you. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. They understand. Right. 
Yeah. But also to add to that, we also, one of our fallen silverbacks, he's actually on the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Craig Chandler. So Craig Chandler. this this podcast has been a big tribute to him mm-hmm. and his family. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Because with us, huh? I was going to say, you two are both detectives now, though. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. You still in the same unit or you're different? Different. No, different. What, what do you investigate to the extent you want to say? He's a shooting detective. I'm, I'm in executive protection. Okay. I was now we got a new principal, so they sent us to headquarters. So I'm at headquarters now. All right. Do you guys miss the street? Yeah, it's yeah, fun. The sure. street was fun. For sure, it's fun. Cause you know why? It's fun when you when you actively talking with the community. Mm-hmm. The calls are the calls. The calls ain't even crazy like it used to be. If you know what you're doing, you're gonna handle the question. Requires a report. Write the damn report. Give them, their, give them their case number, keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Streets ain't hard. If I wanted to do drugs one day, we'd do drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest thing in car stops, you get everything in the car stops. Yeah. You get, that's when you get guns, drugs, and everything else. Mm-hmm. It depends on what kind of policing you wanted to do that day. How active did you want to be that day? But the main thing is, we're going to get out here, see our regulars, so that they know we're out here. Right. Because we're not playing games. We police accordingly. And we have fun doing that. That's community policing. Yeah. Not TikToking, not doing that. Yeah. Going out there, oh, you identify who's your, you know, who's your drug dealer? Yeah. Let them know, hey. We working. Mm-hmm. You're working, I'm working. But yeah. it's, I think you should take a break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you say hello to your peoples. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, drive by the schools, say hello. One time we had, one time we had a, um, we had a problem at one of the high schools. They kept, yes. they kept, they kept, they kept, they kept, they kept robbing them. They kept, yeah, they kept, robbing they kept robbing them. robbing these these schools, yeah. these kids, these students. I'm sorry. So you know what we did? We don't know who's doing it. It's, it's two schools next to each other. Mm-hmm. We came up with a plan. I mean, we got eight hours, right? We're like, you know what? We don't know who did it. Let's just go to both schools. We showed up. Hey, principal, how you doing? With you know, offices in the area. What time is lunch? Okay. What time is freshman lunch? Okay. What time is sophomore junior? Cool. We went to freshman lunch and it just ran that. Right. We sat at every lunch period at the door like that. So whoever was robbing the other kids, they saw us. And that right there made them think they're on to us. Mm -hmm. After that, there was no more robberies Mm -hmm. for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it worked. We didn't put hands on nobody. Right. No. It's that's community policing. Go inside your schools, saying, you know what? We know somebody's doing something in here, mm-hmm. and if we catch you, you can have to deal with us. But we're here. Yeah. And that right there was a deterrent. We 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 wasn't the police that police from the vehicle. Mm-hmm. We always up close and personal. I want to know what the problem is. Let's talk. Even with the drug guys, don't care if you got a whole block full of them. What's up? Mm-hmm. I'm officer so-and-so. This is what we're doing. How you guys doing today? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we, we listen, they're watching us. You think we're not watching that? Mm-hmm. I'm looking at everything, they body language, everything. Who's what looking they, where? Exactly. You know, to what? Who goes to the cut over here? It's Who puts science. the stash over here? Mm-hmm. So it's a sign that we have fun doing it. I'm going to smile with you. We're going to have fun. There's no need for me to, why am I going to engage? We're going to have right. fun. We're going to talk. Yeah. Because I'm learning your system all day, every day, and I'm and I'm telling him, and I'm telling Ronnie, and I'm tell, and you think it's just me on the block? Right. No, I got officers all over. Mm-hmm. Tell the story about uh, when y'all came on the block, big time drug dealers. Like when y'all met him, like we'll make it easy. Oh, so um, oh, the that's during the riots. Post the riots, 
Post riots. Post riots. We uh, cause it was in the Western District. Pensier North. Pensier North. Western District was on fire, so they needed as much police twenty four seven. So they put us on foot patrol overtime on Pensier North. It was uh, Pennsylvania and North Avenue. Hot, well, hot drug block. I mean, it's not stop. You got zombies. That's what the CVS burned down. Yeah, no, that right there. So we was there. Made drank. And a couple other, you know, a couple other officers, but we actively did that all the time. It was fun. We get, we used in that car, and we get out, we walk the block. They were just like, "Yo, keep them." Of course, keep them walking. Don't keep them in small pockets. No problem. So we stayed active on that block. So uh, the head drug dealer guy, head guy of the block that ran the block, he saw how we was, so he came up to us, introduced himself like a gentleman. Yeah, and he looked the part. Had his, had his glasses on, polo sweater. Nothing flashy. Nothing flashy. Just laid back. Nice Everything color. quality, you know? Yeah. He was a gentleman. And we had a man-to-man conversation with him. And he loved us the way we was. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take care of y'all. Snap his fingers and said, yo. Wrap it up. Everybody left the block. <laughs> it was crazy. Mm-hmm. I, was I mean, everybody <laughs> left the block. Yeah. Like, literally, the only people on the block were, like, actual people that were going to, like, the stores. Yeah. People at the bus stop. Right. And it was it. And we were, and we didn't even look for that because they was they was under manage while we was there. They wasn't giving us no problems. Mm-hmm. They just knew how we was. Mm-hmm. We met him. I'm going to take care of y'all. Mm-hmm. Wrap it up. Everybody clear. It's like, it's like roaches when the lights come on. Gone. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know... It's different when you have a man-to-man conversation. You look a man in his eyes. You give him that firm handshake. Mm-hmm. He understands where you're coming from. A lot of people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. So once he... And you feel that temperature. And he's like, yeah, they're they, they the real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you two serve as perfect examples. You're, you're exemplars of the best of the profession. I mean, wow. I, just can't, Thank you. I can't imagine that anyone listens to your story and watches your podcast and goes... Oh, Baltimore City cops don't care. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys are one of two of thousands, and I suspect that there are, uh, you know, many more behind you. Your peers, for sure, your brothers and sisters in the same uniform who care just as deeply about the city of Baltimore as you do. I mean, within the department, you know, I try not to talk about the department, but just accolades to like our homicide department, our SWAT team, our, you know, like these these are men and women that are like specialists, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I think in homicide, there's a female sergeant, and I wanna say, I think her squad is all females. They have like one of the highest closing rates. Mm-hmm. They did a whole special on them, on like women in policing. And these women, they're, they, they're, they're just, What's the word I'm looking for? Crim de la crim. Yeah, because yeah. you know I want to say the animals, but they're, they're, yeah, yeah. you know they're just they they're just so they're just their tactics. They're, it's amazing to see them work, mm-hmm. and it's here in the department, and I'm sure every department has that to themselves or within themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's the profession you find your niche, and you just go with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just happens to be a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think it's because of where we grew up. We come outside. We like to be, I like to be outside. So it's like, and we just like to talk to people. And convers- you, you'll be so, so surprised on how far conversation will take you. Mm-hmm. 
Seriously. I think that's what the world needs. Just more conversation, like less, less and more listening instead of like talking over each other and who's right, who's wrong, who's on what side. Let's just have a conversation. Yeah, like, yeah. and you'll see, you'll be surprised how like, you know, we'll get back together being the people again, you know. Unite, man. Yeah, unite. Go on, thank you. Unite Chiefs. Yeah. Right. And it's okay if you're not a chief. Just play your part. That's it. And your time will come to be a chief. It may not be in that, you know, lane, but it'll be in your lane. Yeah. If you create your lane, you know? Mm-hmm. Seriously. Like, yeah. yeah. When the time is right. When the time is right. Yeah. You got to learn. You know, you, you're not going to be a chief overnight. No, you got to crawl before you walk. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's a process. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. We love it. Thank you so much for being here. Nah, thank you for having us. Yeah. This, sure. this was amazing. Yeah. Can, you please, can you please tell us um, dates, time, the location of the museum, especially, you know, going into police week. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're open for general admission Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, we're open for groups. If groups want to come other times of the week, you can make a reservation and come, you know, uh, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. <laughs> For Police Week, we're going to be open special extended days, May 9th through May 20th, same hours, uh, 10 to 5 p.m. Nice. But um, really going to keep ourselves open for people who are coming into town and, you know, lots of different uh, schedules and lots of different events. So we want it to be as available as we could here at the museum. So um, so it should be good. I mean, each year during Police Week, the museum just swells. Uh, it is just, you know, shoulder to shoulder and, you know, uh, leading this institution and working with our staff. I mean, we just love seeing people here and love seeing the reactions and, you know, the way that people connect and connect with each other, connect with people they don't know, um, and really just have this be a place that they, they journey to each year, you know? So, uh, we love it. It's, it's awesome. And it's exciting that it's right around the corner. It's coming fast. And, yeah. You know, for us, our um, signature event, maybe the signature event for all of Police Week every single year is the Candlelight Vigil. So this year will be our 35th annual wow. Candlelight Vigil. Wow. Where That's we memorialize the names who have been most recently added to the wall. So before we said 556 names. And that's on May 13th every single year, and it's May 13th this year. On the National Mall, starts at 8 p.m. It's open to everybody from the public. Tens of thousands of people from across our profession and across the country, and actually internationally, will show up for that. And for anyone who has not been, not just in our profession, but anyone in this country who has any interest in being part of this conversation, I cannot encourage them enough to show up for an event like this. There is something there that is very, very hard to put into words. There's something in the air. There's a there's a feeling and a presence there that is not easily replicated, if it's even possible to replicate it. There is such healing and catharsis, celebration of the men and women who do this job every single day, and memorializing the men and women who very unfortunately and tragically have been recently added to the memorial and all of the other names that they join. Uh, we, we really hope that people will come be a part of that May 13th. And, you know, to the extent that any part of this conversation resonates with anyone inside or outside of our profession and they feel like they want to support us and by extension you mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, honor two men just like you, the men and women who serve with you in Baltimore, the entire law enforcement profession, help us honor the fallen, tell the story of American law Absolutely. enforcement, make our save for serve. We hope that those folks would at least consider supporting us. They can do that going to our website, nleomf.org. And otherwise, we just cannot thank you enough for coming to help 
help us tell the story. No, for sure. It's beautiful. It means everything. What's the podcast so everybody knows? So it is called Precinct 444, which is named after our address here on E Street. Nice. 444 E Street Northwest is where everybody can come and find us. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a crown jewel. Crown jewel. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. For sure. Beautiful place. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm I'm honestly, like, just honored that this is here. I just, I'm telling you, I'm just done. My peoples, we appreciate you. Uh, I want to thank these amazing gentlemen for just humbly taking us in, letting us experience this. This was overwhelming and breathtaking. I think everybody needs to come Absolutely. and view this museum. It's perfect. It's ideal. It's what you want to see for law, for law enforcement. A great example of what it is and where we're trying to go. And everybody needs to come see this. I love it. I love you. I appreciate you. Dre, what you got? Peace and love. and Just... Just a sense of, of pride, you know what I mean? Like I'm, like I don't want to go back to work now. <laughs> but yeah, peace and love. Triple Z. Bless another peacemakers. All right, guys, we love you. Silverback Chronicles podcast. Stay safe. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe. We'll see you guys next time.